morning. Well, I'm excited to be uh, baptizing all three services on the 25th. Each time there's a baptism, I get kind of choked up just watching what's happening. But last time I saw a father hug his son after baptism, and I'm baptizing my 10-year-old Abigail on the 25th. And so it's a good weekend to join the church, to celebrate what God is doing, and to see an ugly cry from your pastor. If you want to see what it looks like when I ugly cry, oh my goodness. So I hope you guys can join us for that. I'm going to invite my friend, Pastor Devin, out. hope he's there. There he is. Let's welcome Devin. Pastor Devin and I were just uh, up in the mountain with all the pastors on a, having a pastor's retreat, and he's tossing out all these amazing ideas. I'm like, yes, my heart bears witness with that. And then he gets back home, and there's a curveball, and he and his wife received an offer in a, for a Christian school in Pennsylvania that just sounded amazing. And so we've been trying to counsel him against it secretly for a couple weeks now. But Devin, what are you going to be doing in Pennsylvania? Uh, in Pennsylvania, I'll have the opportunity to work at a Christian school. Uh, we're basically monitoring the spiritual development of kids uh, from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. And so I just want to say thank you, Pastor Andy, for everything that you've done and instilled within me and for your guidance and your leadership. Uh, also want to just say thank you to our life group team, uh, Roberta, uh, Alan, Olivia, uh, Cherie, Sue, Brad, you guys have just been so special and it's been a privilege and honor working alongside of you. And then also to our Celebrate Recovery family and team who I see you guys here today. I just want to say thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to, to work alongside of you. So it's great. Well, God knows we didn't want this and we were trying to work against it, but we also trust Devin knows how to seek the Lord. And so we're just going to commit him and his family. They're leaving on a plane tomorrow at 6 a.m. So keep them in prayer. Father, we just uh, love you so much, and we love the Lee family so much as well. And so we just ask that you would watch over uh, Devin, Tiffany, London, and Lennox, Lord, that you'd help them during a move. All moves are stressful, so Lord, give them grace and strength as they uh, travel across the country. I pray that you would give them great friends over there in uh, Pennsylvania. And Lord, that they would have a heart for these kids they're going to be ministering to, Lord. You know how much we're going to miss them, but we pray that your blessing goes with them, that you empower them by your Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, that they are just, they know that you're with them during this transition. So we just commit him into your faithful hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Bless you, but there's still time. He hasn't gotten on the plane yet. So let's pray now. Uh, we wish. Um, today's September 11th. If you guys weren't here last year when I shared my 9-11 testimony of having to run away from the towers and how the Lord was grabbing a hold of my heart during that time, uh, that's on our website. It's on our social media today. But I'm not talking about it today, but it is there if you want to watch that and get caught up. I'll be praying for all those families still affected. I think a lot of the lung issues are really coming out with first responders now that have been, uh, been there 21 years ago. And so, but we find ourselves in the Life in Him series in the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 18, if you want to open up your Bibles. For weeks, I've been saying as our context that it is hours before the arrest of Jesus. It's hours before he's arrested. Well, today he is arrested in our passage and he has led to a mock trial that doesn't even make any sense. And as I was reading this passage, I saw John 18, 4, when the soldiers come to Jesus, he says this, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And it reminded me of something Jesus said in John chapter 1, 
where when two of the disciples of John the Baptist were now pointed to follow Jesus and Jesus saw them following him, he said in John 1.38, what do you want? And their response to what do you want was, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus said what, and their response really was who? They just wanted to spend time with Jesus. And that's the tricky thing in life is we think that there's a what, that there's something that we can have that will fulfill us, that will satisfy us. What do we really need in our core? Who do we really want to be with? What is it that we think will fulfill us? If you were here last week, you know the one thing that my daughter wants for, for happiness is a cat. And so she will never be happy while she's living in my house, we discovered. Uh, Gideon, my son, wants this particular video game. We're still not sure about that. And then recently, Titus, unprompted, we're just all hanging out. And we're, what are you thinking about, Titus? And he goes, I wish I had a million dollars. We're like, don't we all, son? Don't we all? What would you spend it on? And he said, I would buy a million dollars worth of gujitsu toys. Gujitsu toys. They're actually awesome. They're little ninja characters, but if you squeeze them right, they're filled with something on the inside. They're all filled with something different. And they're, they're amazing. They're little stress balls that you can play with. And so he wants a million dollars worth. I did the math. That's 180 of these in every chair up, up and down all over the place. Now, you and I know that actually won't satisfy him. That when, he's, when we say, what do you want? And it's a million dollars worth of that. We know because we're further along in life. Well, that's cute. That's adorable. But that actually won't bring you happiness. And having observed my adorable six-year-old for these years, I could say what he really wants, it's me. It's his mother. It's, it's his brother and sister. He wants to spend time with us. He thinks it's a what in the moment, but it really is a who. He wants time with his family. He wants us to you know, talk to him and just think he's awesome and just hang out and play with him all the time. But that really is true of all of us. It's not what, it's who, it's Jesus. Now, in this chapter, we see so many people rejecting Jesus because what they want is something different. They really want something different than Jesus. And so we're gonna examine seven people that rejected Jesus in hopes to discover the fallacy of trying to find our ultimate fulfillment in anything or anyone besides Jesus Christ. But this is an important part of the gospel story. And so I wanna read a good portion of John chapter 18. It says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have lost no one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commanders and Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, the father-in-law of, of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Simon Peter and another disciple who were following Jesus um, basically, they, they start watching this closely, and a servant girl says this in verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter, and he replied, I am not, and denied Jesus. 
Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple. I said nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to me as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why'd you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Then Peter denies Jesus two more times. And other gospels tell us, tell us he weeped when he looked at Jesus after his third denial. And in verse 28, the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. So Pilate came out and asked them, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Pilate went back inside, summoned Jesus and said, are, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. What is it that we sometimes want instead of Jesus? We have moments of distraction and temptation where we turn from Jesus and say, in this moment, this is what I want instead. Well, we're gonna look at the seven characters that reject Jesus in this story. Hopefully, to learn from that so we cannot reject Jesus. And the first is Judas. Verse three, so Judas came to the garden and we know that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so one thing that we sometimes want more than Jesus is, is we want more money. You're like, yes, amen, pastor, we want more money. We, want, we all want more money, right? We think that just a little more money is going to make us happy. But there's a danger there. The danger isn't money. Money is neutral. It can be used for good or bad things. It's not that money is bad at all, but obsessing over money is. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have even wandered from the faith, like Judas wandered from the faith. It doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money. If we just love money, like Scrooge McDuck style, we just wanna hang out with money all the time. That's what we want. We think just another dollar is gonna make us happy. That's the lie that isn't going to do so. And so that's why we're told in the Proverbs, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. It doesn't say do not work hard to earn money. It doesn't say do not provide for your family. It says do not wear yourself out to get rich. There's a difference over obsessing over money. Hey, work hard and work your second job if you're providing for your family. 
but to obsess over being rich. The Bible warns against it and talks about how fleeting money is, how it can just disappear for dozens of different reasons. We can't wear ourselves out for this. Jesus offers something entirely different. He offers us an inheritance, incorruptible, that can never fade away. 1 Peter 1.4 describes this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We want more money, and Jesus says, you get me and everything money can buy. You get an inheritance in heaven that you will have for billions of years. He offers us so much more than just money. As we look at the soldiers, it's almost comical how they approach Jesus in verse three. They're carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. There might as well be a pitchfork somewhere in there. You're like, this is overkill. They're coming for humble and meek Jesus, and they have all this ammo, it seems like, to come at him. And we realize they're looking for an enemy. They're, they're just like ready to just seize somebody that they think is powerful. And we want an enemy to blame sometimes. Right? There are real enemies out there. There's a whole world full of people that are anti-Christ, right? that are against Christians, against the church, and against family values that we see in the scriptures. They're real enemies. But we hope that having an enemy to blame will take the focus off of our own faults, our own issues, by getting so riled up at the problem over there. Yeah, it's, it's out there. It's over there. That's the real problem, not in here. Sometimes we're tempted to think. I have young kids, and so I thought of the uh, Kill the Beast song from Beauty and the Beast about how hyperbolic sometimes the language gets about an enemy over, over there. Gaston's got issues, no matter what version of Beauty and the Beast that you've seen. He's a womanizer, he's just terrible, and he gets the crowd riled up about the beast, and he says, and I'm not singing this, all right? I'm speaking it with passion. It's different than singing. We're not safe, no. We're not, we're not safe until he's dead. He'll come stalking us at night, set to sacrifice our children to his monstrous appetite. He'll wreak havoc on our village. I want to sing it, but I'm not going to. If we let him wander free, it's time to take some action, boys. It's time to follow me. He gets the whole crowd riled up and says, that's the problem. Forget about all my flaws. The problem's over there. And we're tempted to do that. We should be a light in a dark world to say this is what the scripture says about these different issues. But Jesus offers, if we're willing to point the finger back at ourselves, he offers sanctification and holiness. We don't have to be afraid that people are gonna find out what's going on in our hearts, our secret faults that we have, because he will make us holy. He will sanctify us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 shows us he does this first just by placing us in him because of who he is. We're told you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. We can't be holy enough in front of a righteous God. So we hide ourselves in Christ and his holiness and righteousness covers us. The only reason that we can even be around God is because of Christ and how perfect he is. But that doesn't mean we should put no effort into our own holiness. In 2 Corinthians, it says, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Right, there's some work to be done. We can perfect holiness. We should, we should allow the Lord to purify us because if we continue on as if we're not involving the Lord in our lives, it contaminates our body and our spirit. And so we join God in this process of not pointing at the enemies, but instead pointing at ourselves and said, oh Lord, make me holy. 
Lord, start with the house of God so we can actually be different, so that we're not hypocritical. We want an enemy to blame, but we have to spend more time pointing the finger at ourselves. We see from Annas, the, the father-in-law of the high priest, that we want to control everything. He's not even the high priest, but he's like, hey, bring Jesus to me first. We see from history that he was high priest before this, but the Romans didn't like that the high priest, according to Jewish, Jewish custom, would, would last until they died. They'd have power all the way until their, their death. And so the Romans would appoint a different high priest every so often. And so Annas still felt like he wanted to control everything, even though he wasn't the high priest. He was holding on to everything instead of letting Caiaphas run things. And we want to control everything because we're scared of being at the mercy of others. Like, well, if I don't do it, it's going to be a mess. And if I don't control these things or these people and others are, then it's going to be a disaster. And we're nervous about it. We have a hard time trusting. It was a, a few weeks ago that the Young Adults Ministry started their weekly services. And I saw on social media as the whole family was gathered, pastors Raul and Ali were there. And um, their youngest daughter, Nova, was trying to do a trust fall, first time in her life. So she's trying to actually decide, you want me to fall back with my eyes closed and someone's gonna catch me? And it was adorable watching her kind of freak out. But eventually she did it. You're like, wow, that is very trusting. And we've seen it either in movies or in real life when the person supposed to catch is either distracted or thinks it's funny and somebody thuds right on the ground. And they will also never trust anyone to do that ever again. You see, we want to control everything because we just don't trust other people. We don't want to be at their mercy if we're going to make it. People have hurt us. Jesus offers us his sovereignty right, his providence, that we could let go of the control because he's actually in control of everything. There's a, a popular verse that is, is famous for a reason, so worth looking at again. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Horrible situations and great situations in all things, when our temptation is to think God has forgotten me, God's busy with other people, or maybe God's mad at me and punishing me, and, and life is going wrong, we have to remember God is still in control, and he will work it out for good. We want the good to be perfect health, comfort, and convenience, and extra money. That's our easiest definition of good, you know, God's provision physically. Often God is working on our heart, our character, our witness in the community, and we can grow in that value of, of what God is doing in our lives. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tries to show us how crazy it is to worry about our lives because of how much God cares. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Insert inflation joke here, it says. All right. Yeah, it hurts too much to joke about, right? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God is aware when an animal suffers. And Jesus tried to show us, God knows everything about you, he knows the number of the hairs on your head. And of course, you're of more value than a bird. And so what are you worried about? You have a father in heaven that has everything that you need. He's going to take care of you. So we don't have to control everything. We can let go and we can let God show us his sovereignty, show us his providence. 
Now, when we look at one of the followers of Jesus, we still get rejection of Jesus, just like we have our times in life where we forget God and reject him for a moment and give into the temptation. The servant girl in verse 17 asked Peter, are you really one of his followers too? Like, are you here for that? And he said, I am not. And he denied Jesus two more times after that, and it broke his heart to do it. We learn from Peter that what we really want is to love Jesus privately sometimes. I want to love Jesus privately. We, we're bold with our faith here at the, the church where it's supported, but sometimes we're private about it elsewhere. Why? Well, Peter was afraid of death. That's a very normal feeling to have. He's afraid to die like Jesus is about to. And we're also afraid of loss, the loss of, of life, the loss of friends more likely in our culture, because we think people are going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm one of those crazy Christians, one of those born-agains, and I, I kind of want to protect my reputation. So we are hesitant to share the gospel, and we spend more time protecting our image. Jesus offers us courage instead of this timidity that we have, instead of this fear that we have. Jesus wants to give us courage, and I've seen it. I've seen people here at Cornerstone face the greatest enemy that we have with courage. And it was just a few weeks ago that our, our dear friend, Helen Knox, who attends the classic service in small church at 9 a.m., she had told us a few months ago that she only had a few weeks to live. And so I, I had gone over her house a few times just to hear her story and spend time with her and read the scriptures with her. And each time she just had such a passion for the Lord. But when I got the call this time, it was, hey, can you get over here? We're about to give her some morphine where she's gonna go to sleep and she won't wake up again until she's with the Lord. And so I was able to get over there. Thankfully, she lives close. I got over there in 10 minutes and I held her hand and she started sharing her testimony with me from the very beginning to the end about how she fell in love with the Lord. She talked about how excited she was to go and be with Jesus and to go and be with her husband again that she hasn't seen in 20 years. She said she was going to get up there and do the two-step with him as soon as she could. And I, as I held her hand, I, I knew I should, I should read Psalm 23, but I was so emotional, I turned to Psalm 123, and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Finally, I caught it and turned to the right passage and read it to her, and I said, Helen, please tell me you heard my sermon on heaven in John 14, because I was thinking about you as I wrote it, and she goes, I, I couldn't, it was, there was too much pain, I couldn't get to church. I said, you don't want to be in trouble with your pastor right before you meet Jesus, and she laughed, okay, she laughed. And, uh, and I was able to kind of preach the sermon to her and read her John 14 and talk about heaven. And she faced the greatest enemy we have, death, with courage. It taught me a lot, the passion she had for Jesus and the joy she had as she was about to meet him. And Jesus wants to give us this courage. He said in Matthew 10, do not be afraid of them. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. This isn't a secret. We have to share it. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is like, why are you always all afraid of people? I'm God. I'm at the final judgment. I say yes or no to heaven. Why doesn't anyone fear me? And yet we are so hesitant sometimes, like Peter, the great leader of the church, and so there's forgiveness available for this kind of, of, of betrayal at these times. He ended up repenting and coming back to Jesus, and, and we do too. But God wants to give us courage so that we can bless and help other people with our witness instead of hiding it. We see from one of these officials nearby who slapped Jesus in the face in verse 22, 
that we want to be respected. This guy obviously was trying to get in good with the high priest and show how loyal he was because he, he breaks the law and slaps Jesus in the face. And he's trying to impress somebody in the room. Look at how much I care about our way and against this, this enemy here. And we want to be respected because we want other people to take us seriously. Some are so broken in this area where it turns to physical abuse. I'm so thankful that our pastors went through a 12-week curriculum called Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused so we can better handle accusations of abuse. And we all know what it feels like to be disrespected by someone at work, by a spouse, by children, and the blood boils. And we want respect because we deserve it. We're all made in the image of God, and Jesus offers to us a new identity, one deserving of respect, Here's the identity we have in Jesus. In 2 Peter 2.9, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We are royalty in Christ. This week, we've been watching as Britain is mourning their queen of 70 years, dying at the age of 96. She was royalty and they respected her and loved her and she was steady throughout all kinds of chaos in that country. And she got to heaven, and we will have that same experience that she had here on earth. She will be royalty because of Christ, and we will be royalty only because of Christ. We're all God's children, a holy nation, a special possession, a royal priesthood. That's worthy of respect. That's why we want respect. The Father said to the Son in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was being baptized, this voice came from heaven saying, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I have to imagine after that moment, if three minutes later somebody disrespected Jesus, it probably is just gonna roll off because Jesus just had the clouds open and the Father saying, I love you, I'm pleased with you. What does it matter if someone is disrespecting you? We need to hear this and recognize in Christ, we are also children of God. And so we can have patience and humility and gentleness and meekness when others disrespect us. We have a whole new identity in Christ. Now, when they finally get to the official high priest that Rome had appointed for that year, they sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, verse 24. We realize we want consistency. Caiaphas didn't want the old covenant to become the new covenant, even though it was prophesied, because that would mix everything else. Jesus is the high priest, and that would take it away from, from Caiaphas. He wanted things to remain the same, the sacrificial system, the way they did everything, just stay the same, and we can be afraid of change as well. Sometimes even though our life can be painful, we're comfortable with it because we know it. We want consistency because we're scared of the unknown that change brings. But Jesus offers us a new covenant and makes us a new creation. Speaking of the old covenant, Hebrews 8, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And that's the fear that Caiaphas had. I don't want this old covenant to disappear. We're just gonna have to kill Jesus and keep everything the same. But we can have a similar fear when God is telling us that we're gonna be a new creation. Second Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. We like the new is here, but we're a little nervous about the old has gone part of it. What does it mean? because we still find satisfaction in some things of the world that we shouldn't, and we're worried about what life will be like if we can't give into those temptations anymore. And, 
And we get nervous even about things that have destroyed us in this life. But Jesus is offering to make us completely new. No guilt, no pain from, from the past spiritually that we can say, oh, God is still displeased with me. No, he loves us, calls us his children and makes us new and gives us the ability to resist temptation so we can walk in his ways. The newness of Jesus in our lives can be scary, but there's nothing that you can hold on to in your past that will compete with all the amazing things that the Lord wants to give you by making you new. And when we look at Pilate in verse 31, you, he says, take him yourselves and judge him. You get this vibe that Pilate just wants to be left alone. He's like, why are you? Just go away, go away. You're gonna ruin everything for me. I got a nice position here and you guys are gonna get me in trouble with my leaders. We just wanna be left alone at times. We have to ask ourselves why. Why do we put walls up between us and other people? Why don't we let friendships go deep? Why do we have a hard time trusting God fully and even confessing our sins? Well, it really comes down to it that we're done trusting people because they've hurt us in the past. And it breaks our heart. And we think, no, I tried trusting people and it became slander and it became public news. And so I'm done. And some people stay away from the church for the same reason, saying, nope, I've been hurt by Christians. I'm done. We just want to be left alone. Jesus offers to never leave us. We're like, wait, but he's not listening to what I want. I want to be left alone. Yeah, but we actually don't need that. What we need is the presence of Jesus in our lives, recognizing Jesus has never done you wrong. Jesus has never hurt you. He never will hurt you. Jesus has been good to you and has given his life for you. And so we can trust him. And if someone that we trust that much looks at us and says, I have placed you in a spiritual family, the body of Christ, and you have brothers and sisters in the Lord that you need to go deep with, we need to trust him. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And he placed us here because he wants to take care of us. This story ends tragically as Pilate's looking for one last way to let Jesus off the hook here. And he says, I've got, I've got this tradition where I let one prisoner go every Passover to appease the crowds. Of course, you want it to be the king of the Jews, Jesus. He thought that we're gonna say yes. And in verse 40, they said, no, not him. Give us Barabbas, this thief, this murderer, this thug who is mentioned in all four gospels because God wants us to pay attention to him. There's something the Holy Spirit wants us to see in him. This guilty person that is pardoned in a surprising way as the innocent one is now punished. Barabbas has become a type for all sinners, including each of us in this room. The substitution that happened Jesus for Barabbas. You almost picture them walking by each other at one moment and Barabbas is trying to figure out what happened as Jesus is taking the punishment for him and for each of us because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all stand guilty and condemned to death because the wages of our sin is death. But Barabbas is a gospel parable for us to remind us of Romans 5.8 that while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us. God knows everything about us, even the things we're still keeping secret and loved us enough to still send his son to die for us in our worst moment. Not Sunday when we're worshiping him, but in that private worst moment, God still loves us. Our freedom from condemning guilt is not accomplished by anything that we do, but just by Jesus dying in our place. 
What a love we have. The Father loves us so much. And so as we have these heart desires of saying, oh, if I just had this what, what will, what will satisfy me? What do I want? If I just had this thing, then I would truly be happy. We need to see the fallacy in that. It's just not true. And the happiness will be temporary and then it will betray us because all of the universe is kind of rigged to remind us it's not a what, it's a, it's a who. Only in Jesus will we find complete fulfillment for our desires. He is the one we need to grow in and we seek him first and all these other things are gonna be added. And so Father, give us that heart. We constantly like shoot ourselves in the foot by going after lesser passions. Titus after a gujitsu toy and, and us after money and security and, and, and things that we think are going to give us satisfaction. But as much as those things distract us from a passionate relationship with you, they're just harming us, Lord. Lord, even believers have moments like this. And so we thank you for your forgiveness and your love. But we do beg you, Holy Spirit, to do a work in our heart where we change our lives to pursue you and seek after you first, trusting you'll take care of all the other details that we're worried about. Do that work in our heart this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. We've got a prayer team available to pray for you. We'll see you next week.